So hey everybody, we're back. Steve Johnson is here in town. And we said, you know what, while you're here, why don't you come by and let's talk about marketing and SaaS and whatever else you've done. And so I'm super excited to talk to you because I've known of you and then we worked at the same company together but didn't really know each other then. I've just, through osmosis, have learned a bunch of things from you over the years. So I want to try to unpack a couple of those lessons. Absolutely. How do you describe who you are and what you do? That's a good question. You're always kind of operating guy, right? An operating guy. You know, I I look at solving real problems, you know, so I love that kind of stuff to... Something that's real. I also am purpose-driven, so I like to have something that's got meaning to me. Yep. Let's rewind. Yeah. Like, back from Constant Contact, Hootsuite, Vidyard, Natwa, what's your... Give me the last, yeah. like, 10 years. Sure, sure. So we ran across each other at... Constant in, Contact. In Constant Contact. Yep. Then I came in as zero at Hootsuite, employee 27, yep. just when we started monetizing it. Okay. So Vancouver, and so did that five years. Went from 27 to 1,000 people. Grew all around the world, and... Some great revenue. Mm-hmm. Now it's 150 million. What was it when you joined? So it was 300,000 revenue. So I turned it down a couple of times because I wanted to wait and see if somebody wanted to pay for this. So Ryan, great guy, but yeah. he pinged me and said, you yeah. know, we've got this free product. We're going to start monetizing. I'm like, that was a super interesting era. So, like, you, wait, how long were you at Constant yeah. Contact? So I was there two years. Two years from... Yeah, to learn the volume business, what, 2009 to 2011 would yeah. be my guess? Because yeah. yeah, I was yeah. there 2011. Yeah, 2009 yeah. to 2011. And so at that time was, I think, the rise of social media, yeah. right? Because yeah. there was a lot of stuff happening at that time. It was like Facebook was blowing up. Yeah. Instagram was just blowing up. It had yeah. just been acquired by Facebook. Twitter was just starting to take off. You know, yeah. LinkedIn obviously was a platform. Google Plus was a thing back oh, then. Oh, man. All these social we were, channels. We were a premier partner on that. Right? And I thought this was game changing. And everybody in the world. <laughs> and I actually remember being at Constant Contact, there was a social media marketing product for Facebook. Yeah. And Facebook pages used to be able to basically gate your Facebook page. Remember? Right? Oh, yeah. It was oh, like yeah. you could have an offer and say, hey, I'll give you a $2 coupon if you like my Facebook page. Yep. Facebook then, like, demolished that. They opened Killed up this a whole, whole bunch of companies. There was a ton of companies <laughs> that had just made yeah, you know, a lot of money. apps on social media. Yeah. And so my guess is there was during that time, which is like the rise of social Hootsuite started to blow up because there needed to be some way to manage all these channels, right? I remember at Constant Contact, there was four or five people on the social media team. Using, yeah. And using Hootsuite. Yeah. Well, and it was interesting. People thought originally it was a stupid idea. I got told many times that I was making the dumbest career move in my life. What, leaving Constant Contact to go to Hootsuite? Yeah, and I said, but, you know, I was an enterprise guy. I wanted to learn the volume business, so Constant Contact was the best at that at that time, right? So learned a ton. But to me, it was sort of just self-obvious that social media was just yet another communication forum, right? So you first do face-to-face, then the mail, then the fax, then email, fax, phone, email, whatever the order is. And then social media was just the next logical iteration. So I'm like, the world has shifted and companies, if you thought social media was a fad, then you didn't need Hootsuite. Right. If you thought it was real, then are you going to manage it all natively? No. Right. We were underfunded at that point. So we had a million nine in funding, couldn't get funding. All the smart money was on Seismic, if you remember Seismic. Yeah. So Mark Benioff, Reed yeah. Hoffman, yep. all these guys, they'd raised 20 million to our 1.9. Then as soon as I joined Hootsuite, Twitter bought TweetDeck. TweetDeck. And Man, like, oh, I use TweetDeck. I love TweetDeck. Yeah. I thought we were hosed. Yeah. We're like, this is awful. So we were a Twitter tool only. Right. That's when we added Facebook and started adding these other platforms. Yeah. Now there's like 150 platforms. Actually, I think a great focus for this episode would be like lessons from the high volume business. Yeah. So let's unpack some of those. Yeah. But first, what was the playbook at? Well, I want to talk about all of them. I want to talk about lessons from Vidyard. I want to talk about lessons from Hootsuite, lessons yeah. from Constant Contact. But yeah. there's kind of some key themes along the way. 
Absolutely. Right? What things did you see work really well from Constant Contact that you then took to Hootsuite and said, okay, there's 30 people here. Yeah. Here's where we're trying to get to. My first 90 days, three months, six months, I'm going to do what? So what I took from Constant Contact was definitely the rigor and the data analysis of things that you need from a volume business. So looking at all this paid user acquisition, making sure you're constantly iterating and iterating and testing all this kind of stuff. So we did that and leveraged the pro business yeah. really, really well. The other thing I took away from Constant Contact was really the freemium, looking at MailChimp. You know, I'm like, the freemium really, really works. So our brand preceded us. Can you unpack that? Because we work there, and so like I don't think most people would know the story, but Constant Contact did not have a freemium yeah. email model. Yeah. MailChimp came into the market and basically started to eat a big portion of that yeah. by having free. Yeah, and Ben Chestnut wrote a blog on it. And I don't know if it's still up, but I remember reading this before I went to Hootsuite. I'm like, he told his whole story, and basically the whole thing was, how do you get people into a product, into the business? And they started late in the game. They didn't start with a freemium. Like yeah. Hootsuite started with a freemium. They added it later on. And, you know, the numbers were just, it was just a home run. So did you add freemium when you are at Hootsuite? We had free to start with. And then we added pro. Then we added enterprise. So those are the three things that we added. So it was, I think it was roughly half a million free users when I joined. When I left, we had 15 million free users. And then the pro product was, you know, we were starting. I remember we were adding like, 100 pro per day, and then the weekend it would dip, yeah. you know. After a while, we broke the 500 a day on the free signups, I should say. And then finally, you get to the point we were signing up 10,000. How are you growing that? And maybe the answer is you just dump a bunch of money into SEM and paid. And No, so yeah, good question. So initially, we didn't have any money, you know. We had right. million nine, and then we got a three million convertible note. That's the untold story of Hootsuite. Yep. It was actually a very capital efficient business, you know, because people heard that we raised 250 million, but... You know, that was years later, you know, and most of it didn't go into business. So the growth in the freemium model was not relying on paid. What's the, no. play, what's the playbook? So the playbook we looked at and we said, you know, again, I had $5,000 a month in marketing spend. That was the budget? Yes, that was the marketing the budget. budget? This is the budget. So I'm like, ooh, this included paid user. This included everything. Yeah. So we're like, okay. So you remember the book Flip My Funnel? Mm-hmm. I'm like, all right. We had a lot of raving fans out there that yeah. loved our product. So yeah. our whole marketing Joe, team. Joe Jaffe, John Jaffe. Yeah. Yeah. The whole story was community marketing. We're like, we got to go after this community marketing. So we would start and find all these influencers that liked our product. And that was our vehicle. And we got a bunch of interns that would come in. So in every market we want to go into, we'd go, okay, we need somebody in Vietnam. And we would get an intern in. And you could actually, see almost like radio. You could see the community market would start working. And you'd start to see the lift in signups. Huh. From that From geo. that market, from that geo. I remember it was just like you could just do it by clockwork. Would Strategy. the intern actually be at Hootsuite? We would try to bring him over for like a summer or three months. And they would focus just on that? Yeah. And how do you do that from an office digitally? Like how do you drive signups in Vietnam? It's all based on finding who the influencers were in Vietnam. Okay, this is amazing. So yeah. the playbook is... You guys had a bunch of free users. You yeah. found out where the really passionate ones yeah. are. And then what? You give them swag and make them yeah, feel so, loved. And- <laughs> it's a really fascinating story. Again, we had no money. So we would get these interns. we just pay, you know, all barely anything we could do to scrape together to pay sure. them. Then we look, okay, so you have three things you've got to do as an intern or as an ambassador. We call them an ambassador. You became an ambassador for us. And by the end, we had almost 1,200 ambassadors around the world with 25 paid community markers. But early days, it was like, didn't have that. So you're an ambassador, let's say for Vietnam okay. or, or wherever. Boston. Yeah, Boston. <laughs> no, no, we had them for North America okay. and then we got different regions. Okay. So it'd be, all right, who are the influencers in that market? Yep. And so Guy Kawasaki was one early on, like he was an influencer. Mm-hmm. So we would start to build a relationship with them. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was like, 
the whole story, you had to be kind of what I called higher. It had to be a holistic story. That was the age. I won't go through all the other ones. But so we would build this relationship. And then they would then start sharing it. So the first would be, you know, get the relationship. The second, we called them hoot-ups. Yeah. So you bring people into a little bar venue. And we had no money. We just initially, we'd just go. We literally would send stickers. Mm-hmm. It sounds really, really cheesy. But we had these little Hootsuite stickers yeah. we'd mail out. No, like I'm getting flashbacks. This is amazing. Yeah. Yes. And people loved it. And then later on when we had money to start funding it, we would send swag and beer money or drink money. We'd go, you got to do a hoot up. Yep. You got to do it once a month to be an ambassador. And then you also have to post socially about this. So the swag would be like an owl mask or something like this. Yeah. So then we had this whole social channel. Was there any ask? Was there like, and you have to sign up X people? Or was your expectation like, if we can make these people love us and they have these community events by osmosis, like people are going to sign up for our product. Yeah. And that's what you saw. It absolutely was. So we toyed around a little bit with trying to get some sort of a ask. Most of these people are volunteers. So the biggest thing was just simply getting the brand out. Because we knew if we could get the free brand going, right. we would convert X percent of them to our pro. It wasn't would... like every influencer had some like, you know, magic affiliate link and you'd track it all down. It was just yeah. like hire people in these segments, go. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. And also they became our amplification. So we had, you know, the Hootsuite Twitter. Yeah. We called it our Death Star. Yeah. It became pretty powerful that so we wanted to blast the message out. Yeah. The, the ambassadors would actually send out that message. And those were the days on Twitter where like there was, you know, a couple accounts. Not everybody was on Twitter yet. If you were on Twitter, you're on you're already kind of like the one percent of marketing nerd people, yeah. right? And yeah. then like inside of that, the people that are like connected to Hootsuite and using social media tools, that's like a whole yeah. different sphere. Oh yeah. And it went on steroids, you know, like, I really think the community program just, you know, because we didn't have the budget, we used to write on a small whiteboard where the hoot-ups were. You know, it's like during the week, you'd see them. By the end, we had a whole cafeteria that would be like 100 feet of whiteboard where all around the world, these hoot-ups were going. They'd be like multiple a day all over the place. And that was actually pretty exciting. That's amazing. (laughs) Do you think that not having the budget forced that solution? Absolutely. Absolutely forced it. It became less critical later on as we started getting budget and we started spending more and more money in the paid user because, you know, for every paid user pro that we would get, we'd drag six free along, right? And then those six free, besides the from brand- From the same company? From the same spend. Oh, from the same oh spend. just from a cost yeah. perspective. Yeah, right. so it's like not everyone would sign up for a trial, but those that didn't would sign up for free. And we knew we would monetize a certain so percentage much. of those free. Yeah. And then that also had a chain effect, too, that those yeah. free people would drink and pull us into enterprises. I've been to South by Southwest twice. Yeah. You One time I was there, there was an owl, a big bus. That's right, man. A big bus that was an owl. Everybody was talking yeah. about it, getting yeah. pictures with it, tweeting it. And that was pretty early in that. that really that early. That was 2011. That it's one of our biggest marketing spend when we finally squeezed the money together. How much did the bus cost? The bus cost, and I'm trying to remember the actual exact number. It was not as much as you think. We had it configured and built in Austin. Yeah, but you're mm-hmm. probably still under a million in ARR at that point. If you had just joined 300,000. Yeah, when we did the bus, yeah. we were probably around a million ARR. The bus was great. Well, let yeah, me think about it. We grew, like, I can't give the numbers, but it was a really fast ramp. This is basically hacking South by Southwest. Cause, you know, what are you going to do? How do you get attention? Yeah. You get a booth, everybody has a booth. If you yeah. do food, yeah. everybody does. You throw a party, everybody yeah. throws a party. So we were like, the bus with this owl, and we got on USA Today. It was amazing. Journal, it was everywhere. And, you know, the Today Show, everybody picked that thing, and that was a home run. Was any of that stuff inspired by the Constant Contact kind of like field education playbook, or was it separate? A little bit. So the Ambassadors was a little bit by that, but I also saw what I saw happen at the Ambassador program when they, they tried monetizing it. You know, I'd left by that point. That, to me, didn't seem like it worked super good. Like, this was 
all marketing and PR. It's free. It's, it's got to be free. free. You try to hold them accountable, they're not going to do it. We should buy your beer and pizza and let you do it, and the That's faith right. is the brand. Yeah. That's exactly right. We've thought about freemium that way here, which is yeah. like freemium is our number one marketing thing that we have, right? And it's yeah. there's a million lessons from that. The constant contact email had the viral footer, right? Yeah. MailChimp sent by MailChimp. Yeah. Like there's always some element of that. Yeah. All right, so that's Hootsuite. There's one yeah. free lesson. This is why I love doing this podcast. Mm-hmm. Then from Hootsuite, we go to Vidyard. Yeah, and before I could jump into the Vidyard thing, you know, we also knew that we had to move into the enterprise. Oh, yeah, that's important. When we started monetizing, mm-hmm. it was 100% mm-hmm. pro. And so we're like, okay, we got to get this to an enterprise. So we yeah. start out with five reps, you know, just dialing for dollars. Hunting. Hunting. No, no leads. hunting. No, no leads. Because we had no marketing, <laughs> except for the community marketing. Right. But so, as we started building, marketing never drove more than 30% of our leads, though. So I had BDRs that drove, you know, 25 to 30%. Marketing drove 25 to 30 and the reps were required to do it. But by the end of five years, 70% of our revenue was enterprise. So we'd completely yeah. crossed that mark. And I segmented it going from, a, you know, everybody doing everything. Then I segmented it year two, what we called Corp and Strat. So Corp was inside sales and Strat were field. And then the third year, we segmented even further. So under Corp, we had... SME, mid-market, large enterprise, and then we had Strat. Was there one marketing team that fed those different segments? No, somewhat, and it's changed since I left. Sure. But I talked to a bunch of different people about this, you know, for Envision and Zendesk, SurveyMonkey, yep. and a bunch of these guys. I felt we had to have a business owner of enterprise and a business owner of the free pro product. So I had a VP, of basically, of that online business. He was the first employee in that team. He built it up to a global team of 50. Yep. He's now CRO at Bench. was a great, phenomenal guy. Craig Riamoto. And then the enterprise had an enterprise leader that did that. And so marketing owned overall brand, overall PR and all that stuff. But the online team did their own paid user. They managed their web pages, you know, so they could do their own testing. I'm like, that needs to be. So marketing was entirely focused on brand. Yeah, brand. And also then they did the enterprise. Right. So as we moved into the enterprise, we got a great woman from Yammer. She came on and she's now at Movable Inc. If you know those guys. Cool. Her whole job was just to move us from a freemium brand to an enterprise, and that's when cutesy owl moved to the faded out black and white owl, if you remember that. And then enterprise, so then it became analyst relations, pitch decks, demos. Dinners, smaller Dinners, events, Yeah. yeah. So since I left... They've combined the marketing for both of them, which I didn't like, you know, but it's up to them how yeah, they don't do it. Of course. It's interesting. There's more companies that have that model now, which is, I think, like 10 years ago, even five years ago, you'd say, if you're going to sell to the enterprise, you're either free or enterprise. Yeah. Now there's so many businesses that combine right. them both. I think of myself as a marketer, I'm probably not going to buy a product that I haven't tried. That's exactly right. Right. The old PQL is going to drive everything. Had a really fascinating story, and this is Dave Goldberg, you know, he's passed away, but... Love that guy, but yeah. he was the CEO of SurveyMonkey. So he called and he said, you know, look, one to come up to Hootsuite. And at that point, just shows you the timing, how so much has changed. There were very, very few freemium to enterprise success stories. So we'd heard about what we were doing. We were partners. Could he spend a day? And I'm like, kidding me? Yeah. This is amazing. So he came up, spent a day with him, and like I said, an amazing guy as a sidebar. And when he passed away, tragically, it impacted me way more than I thought because I was like, I really only spent eight hours with this guy in one of the meetings. Like, and he would answer emails and stuff, but he was just such a nice guy, yeah. just such a nice guy. But he opened the kimono and everything on free and pro. Hmm. And I'm like, do that and I'll tell you everything on enterprise, what we did. And, and they end up doing it. They're big into enterprise now. In the free and pro thing from the survey monkey said, what's one thing that you learned from that playbook? So from the pro playbook from Dave, what I learned was we were not doing annual prepays for pro. We was just like month to month because that was the game plan. It was a low price point. Yeah, it was like we started at five ninety nine a month, you know, and so you ask why five ninety nine, and like 
It's just what they decided. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, we moved it to 15, yeah. so the thesis was everybody that's paying month to month, you'll have less churn. Yeah. If they and, go annual. And there's right. high churn in the small business segment. Yeah. Right. And people aren't going to do it. So he's like, absolutely not true. He told me his numbers for how many were. I'm like, are you kidding me? So we immediately flipped and started doing annual. You know, he's like, you have to offer a discount. I remember off the top of my head, it was around 20% discount to do annual. Yeah. And we did way more than half of our business on the pro came from annual. Is there something like that happens mentally there? Is that a, just a perception thing? People perceive that they're getting the same product for less? Yeah. Instead of $5.99, it's $3.99? Yeah. And, and you know what the churn was? Well, Cut our bill. churn in half. Wow. Just by a pricing change. Plus, so you get all our advertising spend, right? You get it the yeah, very next right. month. Was it paid annually? Yeah. Like not yeah. monthly billing? No, no. And people just mentally said, this looks cheaper. I'm gonna yeah. So you have the choice, right? You go... You want to do this or not? So that was Amazing. by far the biggest takeaway I got from him. The other one was actually, it was Dave's suggestion. We were doing all of our paid user I'm spend. Writing notes. I'm writing so notes. Dave was like, you know what you should do? You really should look at an agency for this. Because I'm like, no, no, our guys are great. And he's like, no, no. Our spend was about the same as theirs for the paid user. Yeah. So, But I used the same agency that he did. Mm -hmm. And it actually was a huge win for us. So I think we did it for six months or so. Pulled everything out of it. And I'm actually going through the same process right now at a current company. I... We're just outsourcing to an agency just to get the knowledge. Let's maybe do two, three minutes before we yeah. wrap up on like the last part of your journey and then what you're doing today. So Hootsuite was a phenomenal run. You know, some of the lessons there, culture, you know, like culture eats strategy for breakfast. As they say, I think Ben Chestnut said that when he was interviewed about constant contact. Yeah. So that was a huge one, really having a model that lines up, having a purpose that matters, I think really makes a difference. To me, that was always super important at Hootsuite that everybody knew what they were doing was meaningful. Our purpose statement became, we help transform messages into meaningful relationships. And what that really meant to us was, it manages social. Like, we weren't social. We were just managing social. If you could see them, social messages going out, it just this cacophony of noise. So we're like, what do we want customers out of this? We want them to be able to basically pull all that noise, yeah. manage it, and I can start having a relationship with you, David, right? Because it became more of a sales channel, more of a support channel, right? Yeah, like, and we got to know that person. So that became really, really, really big for me, you know, and I think it was a really, really good win. And also the second learning I got was, from this from Constant Contact, was move international faster. It was not late, but it was a slow move. So I watched this, and I'm like, you know what? Sometimes you just got to move. So we made the decision. So I joined in 2011. We went into EMEA 2012, with just a small office, you know, fast forward three years later, you know, we had 160 people there, 10 in wow. Paris, five in Hamburg, and we had a global support center for EMEA in Bucharest, and 35% of our revenue coming from EMEA. That's amazing. And then same thing with APAC, we had a Singapore headquarters. And you probably had to make that decision without a ton of data, you just felt No, like we had, had to go. go. And I looked at it, and my rule of thumb was, am I getting, you know, what's the percentage of free signups? Or it could be revenue, like a lot of companies would say, pick a number, right? I always looked at it like if I was getting 10% of my signups from a market. It's time to go. It's time to go. Yeah. And that's free. You know, you could also do it from an ARR perspective. Some people say a million. We did it a little bit less than a million when we went in. Yeah. It was like such a game changer that we did that, you know, and it put us so far ahead of the competition for a while for that. Yeah. Do you have any Vidyard lessons? Yeah, I do. I mean, that was actually really interesting. Great company, great space. So I spent five years commuting from Maine to Vancouver. Yeah. So that was non-sustainable. Five years, five years wow. man. 
I'm like, I can't keep doing this. Commuting from Maine to Vancouver. <laughs> not close, those, man. Those two things are not close. <laughs> oh, it was brutal. Yeah. And it was never supposed to be that long, right? It was supposed to be, a, you know, faster and, yeah. you know, still hasn't sold. And then Vidyard, I'd actually got to know these guys, the same investor that led around Hootsuite, led around Vidyard. He was at Omer's. And then, ironically, the role I have right now, he took this role as uh, chief commercial officer at Intellex yep. and then tragically passed away. Yep. So I'm just, you know, temporarily helping the company out. But Vidyard lessons were... We were selling a sort of a niche within a niche with a video for marketing. Great, great product. But, you know, as we kind of looked at this, I'm like, how do we break this open? So we were an enterprise product. And you go from the other end, right? <laughs> I go from the like, other end. Well, okay, we're already doing the enterprise thing. Steve Johnson's coming in with the free. That's it. <laughs> they weren't too happy about it. I don't say the board loved that initially. But to me, it was a no-brainer. Like, we had to come up with something that other people could use and actually use it really, really easily. And... We had a failed start at it initially. We tried doing it on our, our original platform. I think the first name of the product was Engage. Hmm. It was built on our enterprise platform. It just bombed. So kudos to the founders and the board. You know, they let us go do again, another try. And that was Go Video. And that was a huge, huge success. Huge. You know? Yeah. So that's been really good. You know, a lot of companies, I think you guys are integrated in using it. Uh, use it five, ten times a day. Yeah. At least. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. So that went from, you know, just a trial of free yeah. to now let's add enterprise. I think it was three months later we added enterprise. And that became, I can't say the numbers, but it became a really big piece of the enterprise business for yeah. Vidyard. You know, after two years there, I'm like, my mission is done. You guys are doing great. You know, we have a great team. They're off and running. Yeah, that's probably the big lesson there, you know, not that. The freemium works everywhere. I think yeah. freemium, just talking to another executive in Boston here early this morning, like freemium to me is, if you have a vertical, if you're a niche, it doesn't make any sense, right? you got a limited market, but if you have a wide horizontal market, the freemium is yeah. a phenomenal way to get customers. Well, and just if you think about where we are with software today, like I can find anything out without talking to sales reps or nobody has to turn anything on in my account or give me a license or something yeah. anymore. And so... I think just where the world is going, people want to try before they buy. Yeah. And people are going to win on the product experience. And so yeah. if you can get people into your product and yeah. then they talk to sales, which is like such a different change from 10, 20 years ago, which is like talk to sales, then yeah. buy, then get you in the product. Now yeah. let's get you in the product, then talk to sales, yeah. then buy. A hundred percent. Yeah. Probably another story I would say too is like any company that really goes and goes big, yeah. a founder with sort of what I call a reality distortion zone, right? Yeah. Like I brought Ryan to meet Gail at Constant Contact. Yeah. And you could tell they were like 20 people and Ryan thought they were much bigger and better than Constant, <laughs> publicly traded company, right? You know, he just had this yeah. head about sure. like, we're going to be really big. And, you know, we all had that same attitude, like why play small ball? I think in order to lead a company, you have to have that mentality, yeah. right? Yeah. You're not in this to build something small and no. you think your thing is going to change the world. And Yeah, that's exactly right. This was great. We did awesome. about 30 minutes. We could have gone forever. Man, it was awesome. Thank, Thank you. you. Appreciate it. Great being here.